0: Everyone, Welcome. I invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 19. We'll get to that in just a moment, Luke chapter 19. Back in 2014, Dr. Andrew Snelling, who is a, the director of research at Answers in Genesis, applied for, he, he applied with the uh, National Park Service to be able to go into the Grand Canyon and take samples of the Tapeat sandstone layers. Because he was interested there because it was so exposed, the Tapeat is one of the largest, the thickest layers of sandstone in the Grand Canyon. And there are places where those horizontal layers are literally folded and go straight up to a 90 degree angle. And this is a massive mountain size area that is twisted and goes straight up. And he wanted to be able to go in and take samples of that, and the National Park Service said, no way. We we, are denying that application, and they made it very clear it was because of his creationist background. They did not want any of that going on in the Grand Canyon. 2017, they filed a lawsuit against the National Park Service, and after several years of, of litigation, the lawyers were able to agree that, yes, uh, we were being discriminatory and you will be allowed to go in and take samples. And so it's been several years of research. We wanted to look at those samples where that very thick to peat limestone was turned into a 9 degree angle and spacing straight up to take samples in those areas of the bend and compare them to samples of the same layers of stone that were totally horizontal. Because, They wanted to see, was there any change? Had there been some kind of pressure and temperature and chemical changes that would have allowed for solid rock to have been bent straight up in the air if it was totally dry and solid? There would have to be, the effects would be visible in the molecular structure. And it would be completely different than the horizontal layers of the same identical to peat limestone and they have now published their results. There is absolutely no difference. Those layers were exactly the same. They were bent when they were wet and damp within the first few weeks or months after the flood, after they have been laid down. This is being published Uh, in the scientific journals. It can be talked about. It is is research. Andrew Snelling is the head of research among all the PhDs working in answers from Genesis to, to be able to do research in the scientific world and to show to the scientific world that there is evidence that confirms creation and confirms the flood as the Bible talks about it. This reminded me of Luke chapter 19. If you opened up there it up. Sometimes we call this the triumphal entry, the entry into Jerusalem. And it says in verse 35, and they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, Master rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. That was what I was reminded in the evidence that is in the stones that the Bible is true. And this evidence is being cried out, is being displayed, is being published across the scientific world. And increasingly, it is getting harder and harder for evolutionists to deny evidence that's in the rocks. But he goes on for just a few sentences here. Verse 41 And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at the least, in this thy day, The things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. What Jesus is pointing to there was the time of his first visitation upon the earth. But we are now living in an age, we sometimes call this the church age, the time of the the Holy Spirit being among us here and among the churches. And we're teaching the word of God. We're looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we are in a time of visitation of God upon the earth through the Holy Spirit, through the church, through preaching and through the word that we have. And the evidence of the stones are crying out to show people that God has worked, has accomplished things in this world, has provided a way of salvation. We are in a time of visitation. And if we don't see the evidence, if we don't understand it, we have missed the day of God's visitation. This is our urgency. This is our, what compels us to teach and to witness and to talk to people. Because the evidence is all about us that God is real, even though the secular culture wants to deny it. I don't want to take away further from my brother's time. Brother Luke, would you be able to lead us in opening prayer at this time? Go right ahead. Well, this evening we begin a series of meetings. Our brother Jerry Priest and his wife Heidi join us from the Chambersburg, Pennsylvania congregation. We're looking forward to uh, several days here together. And uh, there in Chambersburg, he uh, ministers in a cross-cultural ministry. Were you aware of that, Jerry, that, that you minister in a cross-cultural ministry? Yes. Well, Jerry, this Chambersburg is in Pennsylvania. But this brother, this family lives in Maryland, right? So you have to cross the state line to to go minister there in Pennsylvania. So there's a new way to think about that. Okay. Well, we look forward, Brother Jerry, for these meetings, and we just pray the Holy Spirit to be upon you to bring us a message that he has laid upon your hearts.
1: Also I'd also like to say good evening, and I guess David beat, beat me to it. Heidi says, I never introduced myself. So what else you want to know about me? I, I'm from the South. Um, two of our girls came along. Actually, our only two girls came along. Don't let your minds wander. Our son stayed home up until Friday night, I guess, so. We have three children. Um, Other little tidbit of knowledge, I milked cows for about 30 years. Decided that was enough. so Transitioning into another job. Something David said right at the end of his opening. You know, I'm really, I got chills, but he said that what is your desire to talk to others or spread God's word? And that's what we want to talk about this evening is discipleship. Not so long ago, I was in this a building with my daughter, my youngest daughter I knew what I was there for, I was there to renew my license. She was there to get her permit. And I thought this was all cool, you know. At 8.30 in the morning, we'd have this all done. I'd go back home, drive back home, and we'd be done, you know. Then I could get to my day. Well, she passed her test, and she got her permit. And we're on the way back out to the car. And she goes, give me the keys. What? Give me the keys, I'm driving home. Okay. Normally the way home is straight through Hagerstown. Kind of busy, right? So I thought another way to teach her how to drive would be to get on the interstate. Bad decision, right, Dad? Not so good. Because we left the parking lot, and we got on the ramp, and we're getting on the interstate. And I look over, and I realize she's looking in the mirror to get on the interstate. But I saw the speedometer, and we're going about 35. That's the problem. See, I hadn't shown her yet how to drive a vehicle. Tractors I own don't go 35. We don't merge onto interstates. We just pick up hay bales. And as she drove home that day, I had to think back in my own life when my dad showed me how to drive. And I wondered if she would get a ticket on the way home. Because that's what happened to me. She didn't. But you know, life goes in cycles. The planets travel around the sun, right? We have 24 hours in a day, right? Seven days a week. 52 weeks in a year. Right? What are some other cycles you can think about? Being on a dairy farm, what's a cycle we'd often like to forget about, but it's a it's there? Anybody want to guess? Oh, that's yeah, that's a that's a cycle sometimes you want to forget. I was thinking more like uh, the flies in the summertime. You have a fly, then you have an egg, then you have a larva, then you have a pupa, and it goes back to an adult fly. Right? It's a cycle. How about a butterfly? Can anybody think back to science class? What's the cycle of a butterfly? Similar to a fly. You have a butterfly, then you have an egg. Then what? You have a caterpillar, chrysalis, and then you go back to a butterfly. See, both of them cycles just return back. And it goes on and on and on. Did you ever think about your spiritual life as a cycle as well? Did you wonder sometimes when you're sitting on your couch wondering what to do or what to think? There's no good book laying there beside you to read and there's no information to read, your phone's not sitting beside you, you wonder, what does God have in store for me? We're going to go to Mark chapter 3 tonight to try and figure out this cycle Try to understand where you are and how God wants to use you. Mark chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 13 to 19. It says, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed him Anerges, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite. And Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, they went into a house. So thinking about a cycle, the first thing I see is spending time with Jesus. That's in verse 13. It says, he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came to him. We would go back to Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It says, Jesus went up into the mountain to pray. And I just say that to encourage us. You know, we sometimes pray prayers without realizing or understanding or wanting to understand that we're in the presence of God each time we pray. Sometimes we pray along the road while we're driving kind of flippant I'd say and we don't realize we're really in the presence of God it's an opportunity to spend time with Jesus in verse 14 it says he ordained 12 he appointed 12 that they would be with him But it doesn't stop there. It says in the end of verse 14, and that he might send them forth to preach. Remember what David said in his opening? Being eager to speak to those around you. But the first thing that I see that Jesus wanted was spending time with him. Jesus wanted his disciples, but more than that, he wanted their time. He wanted to be with them. What does Jesus want from you? Do you have time for him? Do you really have time for him? Do you set aside time for him? Because maybe this will, I don't know, maybe surprise you, but do you ever stop and wonder that Jesus might be more concerned with your walk with him? than what your work for him is? Do you ever wonder about that? Because it's easy for us as Christians, as we go to church, we think, well, I studied, and I can present, I can teach, I can preach, but have I spent time with him? Does he know me? Maybe another way to say that would be Jesus would rather hang out with you than you burn out doing ministry for him. I don't know how it is for those of you that have to teach maybe every Sunday. And it's hard for me to understand, you know, those that, that maybe teach every Sunday for a year and I hear them maybe voicing some complaints and I, I say, well, I'll trade you. <laughs> I'll let you go preach for a week every night. See, it's real to be burned out. That can't happen. That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants your time. He wants my time. He wants to get to know you. He wants to get to know me. Maybe another way that we look at it is, are we more interested in doing something great for him? Or maybe we should be Interested in God doing something great in me. Right. Let the rest up to God. God do something great in me. Right here. Me. Change me. Through spending time with you. I would ask you this evening, when's the last time you spent time in God's word, meditating without the requirements to teach or preach? Something I have to ask myself. You know, it's so easy for me to say, well, I spend time with God, yeah, when I have to preach. But what about the rest of the time? Do I spend time with him? Do I want to spend time with him? The reason I say that, I had a neighbor lady that told me she went on a vacation for a week and she went up into the mountain. She didn't go fishing, she didn't go sightseeing. Which I'm sure she saw some sights there and back. But her main purpose for that week was to spend time with Jesus. That's it. I had never thought of it that way just to spend time with Jesus, just to understand what he wants for my life. Uninterrupted, give him the time. Let him speak to you. The next thing that I see with the cycle of discipleship is here in verse 14 it says that he might send them forth to preach did he send them away right away I like to ask questions he called 12 unto him did he send them away right away Those of us that are farmers and have planted corn, would you put your son on the tractor for the first time and look the corn planter and say, there's 40 acres. Doesn't matter if it's straight or not. You'll get more plants to the acre. If it's crooked, actually, go for it. No. See, the second thing that I see in the cycle of discipleship is that the disciples needed to learn some things through experience. Jesus calls his disciples here in chapter 3, but he doesn't send them out until chapter 6. I don't know how long that was. But what are some of the things that the disciples saw along the way? From chapter 3 until chapter 6, as the 12 disciples walked with Jesus, what did they learn? What did they experience to give them strength later on in life as they were sent out? What they encounter? It's not a trick question. Everybody's tired than I am. Did they meet up with Beelzebub? Yeah. Did Jesus teach in parables? Yeah. Did Jesus calm storms? Yeah. Did Jesus heal a demon possessed man? Yep. Right while his disciples are right with him, he's doing all this. Jesus raised a young girl from the dead. And he heals many sick. But one that I don't want you for, to forget is that they were right beside him when he was rejected by his hometown. See, these were all experiences that Jesus knew these disciples needed. Can I say that these experiences were invaluable to the disciples when Jesus says, go and teach and preach and talk and show and witness. So can I ask you this evening, what struggles are you in? You don't have to answer that one. Just think about it. But as you process what the disciples went through in this cycle of discipleship and the struggles that you might be facing right now, is Jesus trying to teach you something? And maybe a better question than that is, are you learning? Are you listening? Are you looking to learn? Because even though the experiences that you're going through right now might be tough, I think I can say with God's authority that he's trying to teach you something so that you can do something through them experiences to help someone else. An example of that my dad passed away, What's it? this is 2021, so 15 years ago, which was very tough for me. And where I work this past spring, I worked for three brothers, and their dad passed away. And it was just incredible for me. To be able to go through that process with the youngest brother. He was very close with his dad. And it was just really neat for me to be able to go back to what I learned, what I, how I trusted in God, and how I reacted to help him through that process. So is it fun going through tough times? No. But as you go through that, see what you can learn so that you can use that later in service for Jesus. The next thing that I see in the cycle of discipleship is that you go do ministry for Jesus. See, after sufficient time with Jesus had, been going, had gone by, and after enough lessons had been learned, Jesus sent out his disciples. It's scary, right? Suddenly the disciples had to go put in practice what they had learned. You know, as you're driving down the road and your teenage children, not yet with a license, you're trying to teach them. You always use your turn signal, right? And then they start driving, you hope they still remember that, right? If we turn over there to Mark chapter 6, verses 8 to 11. And this is when Jesus is sending them out. It says, and we'll start at verse 7, I guess. And he called unto him, him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two. And gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should take nothing from their journey save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Did they have power? Did they have direction that they could couple with their experience? Yes. And Jesus sent them forth. So I would ask you this evening, what are you doing for Jesus? It's a simple question, but a much more complex answer, right, sometimes? What are you doing for Jesus? Maybe a more complex question would be, what does he want you to do? See that? isn't always the same answer, is it? What if I decided on the way here that I should stop in Columbus and witness instead of coming here today? Phil says that wouldn't have been okay. Really? What if Jesus would have stopped me in my tracks on 70 and said, stop right here. I have someone for you to talk to. See, so often I see in my own life when it comes to to doing ministry for Jesus, it oftentimes it fits into my plans. How I want it to fit in. Right? That's how it works. That's when it works good according to me, right? Can we agree that it's no accident that you are where you are this evening, doing what you're doing, experiencing what you're experiencing? Because God wants you to use all of your experiences and all of your gifts and talents not for yourself, not just to box up and store away somewhere. He wants you to use all of that to serve others. And not only just to serve others, but to let everyone know of his grace and mercy. See, that's not always easy, is it? When I think I've been taken advantage of, is it easy to show mercy? The last thing that I see in this cycle of discipleship is found in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. chapter 6 Jesus sends the disciples out and then in verse 30 it says and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught see what happened in the cycle spend time with Jesus Experiences, do ministry for Jesus, and we're back to spending time with Jesus. The cycle starts all over again. And can I emphasize this enough that this is so important for us as Christians? This step cannot be overstated. Spending time with Jesus. You can't continue ministering for Jesus if you don't take time out to spend time with him. So in conclusion this, this evening, As a disciple of Jesus, will you submit yourself to this cycle? Can you do that? Can you submit to this cycle without skipping a step? See, we might like to spend time with Jesus, and we might like to do ministry. But remember that other one, the experiences we just... Sometimes we don't really like that one, do we? It can be tough. But I think as a true disciple of Jesus, we have to submit ourselves to this cycle without skipping a step or spending too much time at a step. So the question for us this evening is, where are you in this cycle? Do you know? Where do you need to be in this cycle? Can I encourage you that if you don't know As a Christian, where you are on this cycle, maybe the best place to start is by spending time with Jesus, and he'll show you where you need to be. What shall we sing? Kurt, would you lead us in prayer?